Nerd Appropriate presents exclusive coverage of the Bioware Base, recorded live at PAX Prime 2013. All right, welcome to the Rated NA podcast for the website nerdappropriate.com. As you'll notice, this is not a numbered uh, podcast. We're doing a whole special series for you. Yeah, we're going to be bringing you a total of 12 different podcasts recorded live at the Bioware base this year's PAX Prime. So make sure to click subscribe and enjoy. So thank you guys for dealing with our technical difficulties. Um, and Yeah, I've got to hold this mic way down here. Um, <laughs> this is the art and design panel. Um, is it the art and design of Dragon Age or just the art and design panel? I think this is, I think this is just art and design at Bioware. Okay, good, good. Uh, so the art and design, the art and design at Bioware. Do you mind All if I just put my juice right there? No, don't hold it. I'm, I'm not a diva. Or I can hold the microphone. No, oh my gosh. No, no. Um, yeah, so thank you for dealing with our technical difficulties. Um, we are so, uh, so cool that we blew out a fuse. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves, but thank you guys so much for coming. There's a million things to do at PAX, and we feel so fortunate that you decided to come spend time here with us. Um, we've got a full weekend packed full of activities, and I'm just going to go down the row and just um, tell us who you are and your favorite weapon that you would use if um, someone came charging through the room and you had to not kill them, but just, <laughs> just, um, just get them down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it'll so, be under our chair. This is where Steve Gilmore. I'm the lead animator on Dragon Age. I would use a blunderbuss full of rock salt or a paintball gun with frozen uh, water pellets. Yes, mm-hmm. one of those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Michael Liao, uh, combat designer uh, on Dragon Age, and I would use a taser shotgun. I just learned of this recently. Taser shotgun. It shoots the bullets, which electrocutes you. Amazing. <laughs> My name is Josh Sixma. I'm a gameplay designer. I would probably just go for the biggest two-hander I can find. <laughs> Good answer. I'm Matt Rhodes, uh, lead concept artist on Dragon Age. Uh, I'd go for mechanical pencil just because I always have a Mandy. So. <laughs> wow. Uh, my name is Sebastian Hanlon. I'm the lead combat designer on Dragon Age. Uh, I'm thinking bear spray. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Non-lethal but cruel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My name is Mark Wilson, um, lead technical designer on Dragon Age, and I use Josh. He's <laughs> <laughs> big. My name is Matt Berner. I'm a gameplay designer on Dragon Age. I would probably use a brick wall. Just let them run into themselves. That's fine. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm the art director for Dragon Age. I disavow weaponry. <laughs> I use my mind. Most dangerous weapon of them all. I'm uh, Graham Scott. I'm a level designer on uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, I would use a hockey stick. 
Cross check to I'm Tyler Lee. I'm the UI lead, and I'd like to use a rubber chicken. Um, yeah, so we're on a panel with uh, some, some, some pretty crazy people. So uh, keep that in mind because we're going to uh, have a Q&A portion at the end, so think about that. Um, yeah, so, so I've been thinking about this. What is the weirdest part of your job when you're up in Edmonton? Um, or Montreal, if any of you are up in, in Montreal, um, speaking French or not speaking French. I've never been to Montreal because no one will let me go there. Um, yeah, what, what are some weird things about your job um, in art and design that you, um, are, you can, can share? Because there's lots of things that we can't share. Ha, secrets. Um, that, that you might, we might not know as fans. I, I can think of one right off the bat. <clears throat> as much time as you can spend drawing Inquisitors and Dragons, you also find yourself lovingly rendering the cod pieces on armor. Or uh, or just buckets, and it, it strikes you I'm spending this afternoon drawing a bucket. And it's not weird, but it's kind of strange and mundane. Uh, for, like, player abilities and stuff, we, we're always working with animators, and we're coming up with, like, so what's this action going to be? So... We'll go out onto the field and like have a sledgehammer, videotape ourselves, like doing really weird actions. And I'm sure everyone driving by is like, "What are these weirdos doing over there?" <laughs> yeah, I, I think bought it, the sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> I think doing acrobatic type stuff in the office, as we like do player abilities, um, quite literally, like trying to like jump over a desk to figure out what it would be like to do different things. <laughs> And fail sometimes. Yeah. Yes. I came up under a desk once, which was not intentional. <laughs> it's the onlooker effect where yeah. you, you've got the, the lingo and you're just completely talking to someone about something that both of you know um, intimately and whoever is sitting around who doesn't know gives you the weirdest looks, even even within the office, but sometimes without, yeah. Yeah, riding the elevator with the people from the engineering yeah. firm is, is pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> I totally chopped that guy's face off. <laughs> yeah, I had to uh, I had to remind uh, somebody to take their uh, medicine at lunchtime. That was pretty good. And I like our job because uh, my goth uh, boss kind of got up in my face, so I gave him a wedgie, and I ripped the band right off. I didn't get into trouble or anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was not expecting any of those things. <laughs> um, so so I, I'm really interested. Um, you, you hear art and design, and you don't necessarily, the first thing that jumps into your mind isn't necessarily story. But could you tell me how story, because when you think Bioware, you think story. Could you tell me how story plays into the day-to-day -day or the overarching aspect of, of your jobs? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, this is actually probably my favorite part of the whole job is uh, there's story, so there's explicit storytelling. And then uh, Matt and I get together and nerd out over the kind of the setting and uh, we talk about like local architectural vernacular or uh, 
self-referential art styles that you know help illustrate the psychology behind a certain culture or something like that. So it's not exactly like that guy said this and then that guy went over there and then a thing happened. It's all of the kind of implicit backstory behind it and try to create a, a sense of mood and space. That's really super fun. Yeah, uh, also with the level design, I think. Um, yeah, here, Graham. Graham Ford, Graham. Or maybe share Matt's mic. Now you've now you've Hello. Yep, that one that one's good. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, with level design, I think uh, we have an interesting opportunity to uh, tell story uh, through uh, layout, through prop placement, through uh, the things that the player is actually seeing and interacting with. Um, being able to set up situations where you come into a room and if the roof is torn open and a light shaft is shining on a table and there's a corpse kind of splayed across it. Uh, we can set up things where the player isn't necessarily told through a conversation or dialogue, uh, but they can kind of piece together a story in their mind for what actually happened. Um, so I think that's how level design can kind of tie into a story. One of the things that we, uh, that we did fairly early on on Inquisition once uh, once we uh, knew sort of who the who the followers were going to be, um, and and sort of where where writing wanted to take it, we had we had big brainstorm sessions where we'd bring in uh, the combat designers and you know the VFX guys and the animators, and and then the and then the writers who were who were working on each of these characters, and we had sort of big back and forth discussions about okay, so you know. We know that, that that this character we we think he should have this kind of combat role and and then you know okay so the animators want to do it like this and then the writers okay well can't really do that because of this thing that we've established with this character earlier or there's this thing we want to do with him in the story later and so it was a really interesting process of sort of trying to come up with uh, uh, with with you know abilities and with sort of the, the presentation for each of these followers. Um, in a way that in a way that supported the story and that and that uh, really made that character work together as an integrated unit rather than saying okay well he's he's a warrior okay so we're gonna give him all the all the warrior stuff okay but you know we want to we want to make sure that these characters support the uh, the writing and the story and the, and the character so that it all comes together as a big unit. It is it is fairly collaborative. So sometimes like from the tech design point, we'll, we'll prototype a, a mechanic and we'll make sure the gameplay is fun and then work with writing to make sure that it fits within Dragon Age, um, but not sacrificing story for the sake of gameplay or vice versa. It's, hey, this is really fun. Is there anything that we can do with it to make it special to Dragon Age? Um, and yeah, it's, that's kind of cool when some of those ideas come together. Yeah, I was going to say, it's basically the same thing with creatures. You start iterating on this like really cool creature mm -hmm. A, and then you sort of just start, wait a minute, we should probably check with Dave Gator and make sure this is okay. <laughs> so you run over to the writer's office, they're like, yeah, we can work with that. And you're like, okay. And then you go back working with the concept artist and continue on. And how do, um, how do you deal with some of the, the technical limitations that you have to overcome? I mean, you, you have to deal with some things within the engine. You have to deal with things like scale. I know... It, there's always the joke about how shale is like a little mini golem and uh, things like that are those kind of challenges that you have to overcome. Um, where does that come into play? 
I would say to a point, you you really we try to work with those limitations at, at all levels. Like story wise, Luke was saying at the previous panel that that as writers, they need to know what the technical limitations are. So like you know, there's there's no point writing something if we can't actually do it. And and I think the same goes for everybody. There's you know, we've Steve has helped rein me in as far as what I draw on a character because it's like there's no way anyone in the world can animate that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, we help kind of trim things back. And, and it's this kind of constant negotiation. And, and you know, it's, it's like a made robe becomes, is a particular shape and has its technical limitations. And so we try to lift things up or move things around. And it just, and that becomes the language. That becomes the setting. So it's kind of born out of that back and forth. Yeah, at the same time, though, you guys, like our concept artists, I mean, we've had this discussion where we intentionally try to not limit what they put into our characters and the yeah. design so that maybe we get an opportunity to kind of push the technology a little bit and do something that uh, maybe we haven't done before. And, um, you know, it's kind of a balance between uh, what's technically possible and also uh, what people are uncomfortable doing. Um, everybody gets used to doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, part of our job as, you know, leads is to kind of push them and uh, push for new technologies and new ideas. And, you know, it's, it, you don't want to sit still. You always want to be trying to challenge yourself and be being afraid. Feeling afraid <laughs> is actually a good place to be. So. Do, is there any other burning questions that I should ask you guys before we open it up to the audience questions? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's get your questions. I'm going to run down um, and... Um, be the champion. If you have a question, go ahead and raise your hand and I will just run to you and don't be intimidated. And because the mic's a little, you don't have to eat this mic. Okay. I'm going I'm to walk around. I'm just going to put it in your face so someone better raise their hand. Thanks. <laughs> right, so um, I've heard about the agents and I was just kind of wondering how um, in depth maybe you could go into how that's going to work. Um, like, is it just you give your little companion, like, a mission to accomplish, and they come back later and tell you how they did it? Or are you going to be playing through them, through that mission? Or is that something we can't talk about? I think that falls under can't talk about yet. Can't talk about yet. Uh, Excited to. But, yeah. I don't think we can go into any detail there yet. Sorry. Running, running. So when you have you ever had a character that you were designing that was going to be like a smaller character in the background for one game, and then you're like, oh, every time I draw this, I'm really into it, and then the art actually directs the story that way where it becomes a bigger character? Hmm. I, well, I know there have been characters that were, were really intriguing um, in Origins, uh, and I'm not sure exactly what happened on the writing side. Maybe a writer can fill me in on this, but, uh, but like Isabella was was triggered and it was just like let's bring her forward and it was the opportunity to come in and and say like in origins she was made out of what was available and now that we're really gonna tell her story and and expand on her we could address like who she is in the story and let's give her a fighting style we'll give her like what kind of combat role would she would she fulfill and 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 like what kind of costume would would a character like this wear based on her experiences and that kind of thing so so those opportunities are really great especially when you're working with um pre-existing ones and even now I just did a concept for a character from Origins that is getting 
similar treatment that I won't elaborate on, but it's like it's really great because you can. <laughs> it's just you know you, you the yeah, yeah, characters that, that people like came across or really loved. You know, it's 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 a blast. Um, my question is about combat design. Uh, just mentioned like going out into the field and swinging weapons at each other. Do you guys get to do crash courses in medieval weaponry? And do you have backgrounds in like martial arts or any combat or anything like that? Uh, so we don't. I don't know if anyone's actually got any crash courses in medieval weaponry. Um, a few of us do have martial arts backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. Like, like I, I used to take taekwondo and like black belt and that. And I took kendo for three years. The the problem with. Um, and, and we've looked at, I've looked at a lot of the medieval systems. Um, the, the problem with it is there's what I call reality and theatrical reality. Um, the reality doesn't look as good as it needs to. It's not as uh, big as it needs to be. Um, it's the same problem with motion capture. Motion capturing very good stunt actors, when you actually get the animation back, they look like they're underwater. They're slow. They're not exciting. And that's kind of the challenge. We have to actually amp it up and make it theatrically sound. So it, it's kind of a different challenge. Like those systems would help you in a real fight, um, but we're not really making real fights. Uh, we're making yeah. gameplay. There, there actually were some really neat meetings that we had where, where we got people from combat design, visual effects. We had some concept artists there for storyboards where, where we talked more about the spirit of, of combat. Like the idea of like, okay, for Dragon Age, like what is a rogue at its core? And we kind of broke it down right from the base again and talked about like how do they move, what are they about, like what, how do they relate to their weapons and like what kind of, you know. And so everyone could kind of pitch in and, and VFX was like, oh, I could do that really easily and, and we kind of go back and forth. Hi. Well, I, I have a technical question. Um, I was curious uh, what programs or techniques you use for texturing your models. Okay, well, uh, obviously, uh, Photoshop, uh, we're moving into more physically based rendering stuff, so uh, photography is important, especially for environments. Uh, actually, authoring shaders, various different engines have different uh, ways of wiring that up, so Dice uh, or Frostbite has one, uh, but it's similar because math works in a certain way, so if you know how to, I don't know how it works, but um, there's, I hear there's numbers and rules to it or something. You have to plus before you divide or whatever. But uh, you... Um, oh, the math. <laughs> so if, you, if you've used Unreal or Crytek or something, there's a way of lacing together all those nodes uh, and you get certain effects. Um, so that's pretty important. And there's uh, Endo for creating uh, normal maps, uh, cavity maps. Uh, CDO is a new thing that they made that also uh, can poop out diffuse textures for you. Uh, so you can actually create it in, in ZBrush. You can actually completely texture it up in there. You don't even have to use Photoshop if you don't want to. Yeah. Uh, I have actually two questions, one for Sebastian, one from Graham. Uh, for Sebastian, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, the how uh, the combat design for uh, actually mixing the the character with the skill, skills it actually uses. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you strike a balance between uh, giving a character a style within its combat and actually allowing the player flexibility in making its party? 
So uh, I can't go into a lot of details about uh, what we're doing specifically on Inquisition, but um, if you look at uh, the way we built our characters in DA2, uh, all of our followers had uh, basically the, a standard set of, of abilities that, that belonged to their class and that work with their weapons, and then we gave, uh, we gave each character a, a, a smaller set of abilities that were their, their specific, uh, specific talents so that they, they have the general set and then they have a, a specific uh, couple things that they can do that are just their own. And for Graham, uh, is there a particular kind of biome that you missed, uh, that you would have liked to work with in Inquisition that you didn't get to? Um, do you mean like from previous Dragon Age games? Uh, in general, you know, a particular biome, say uh, snowy fields or etc., that you didn't get to work on? Mm -hmm. um, Kind of a tricky question. Um, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> That's yeah. a clever one. The moon. <laughs> so if too smart. If uh, if you were paying attention to some of the, uh, the Game Informer uh, videos that went out, uh, we started giving uh, some indication of the the breadth of uh, the variety of different uh, types of areas that you're going to see in Inquisition. Um, I can't really go into too much detail about all of all of those. Uh, uh, different uh, locations, uh, but there is a very large uh, range of, of different biomes and stuff. Um, this is actually, uh, I've only been on the Dragon Age uh, franchise for a year. I was actually previously on the Mass Effect team. Um, but I will say that there's some pretty awesome stuff. <laughs> <laughs> More to come in the future. I'll run around. Zero G space. We haven't done any yeah. Jovian atmospherics. <laughs> Have we covered space? <laughs> space travel. So I'm I'm not sure if you can actually say anything because, but in the video you mentioned stuff about open world, open world. So I was just wondering if you can talk at all about how the design, the level design, the art has had to change based on developing something for a more open world game design system as opposed to how you had more kind of linear paths in the previous products? I, it, That's for, an awesome question. That is a very awesome it's question. Because I'm a game developer. I'd say, it's just, it's like, <laughs> I'd say it's kind of like we've all just been able to stretch a little bit. But I, there's one there's one phrase that I like what Matt has said, and that's that, um, and correct, you're here so you can correct me if I butcher it, but that uh, geology determines history, or geography determines history, I mean. Where it's topology. Like, topology. So, you know, the, the idea that... <laughs> perfect. Analogy. Ologies are important. This is why he's the art director. Um, but, but that it's like the landscapes, people just build in certain ways on landscapes, and, and like rivers are important. Like there's just, there's a way that people react. Like there's a logical place to build a fortress. There's a logical place to put a road. And, and by having frostbite and being able to create these big, broad, expansive areas, it gives us more of that ability to create natural spaces, spaces that are believable in that way that like... You know, if I if I go down downhill from here, there's going to be a river. There's you know that's going to lead to something, and it's it, yeah. It brings with it its own set of challenges. Oh, definitely, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Animation-wise, we have basically for our exploration animation, it's the most complex system we've yeah. ever built, by far. But I, the funnest part again is like the sense of exploration. It's like I can see I can get over there, and there's the main path, and then there's like all of the little shortcuts you can go here and there and you get rewarded 
um, for you know going off the beaten path. So if you go this way, you can. It's harder. You know, you have to figure out how to get up there, and you know, probably something's going to eat you a couple times before you actually get through. But there's there's all kinds of different interconnections to it. So uh, that that's been a learning process. We continue to get better at that. Brief preview for the the Inquisition strategy guys: leave the path. Leave the path. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's been really fun to place all the extra gameplay right outside of those linear constraint moments. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, this area is wide. Like, that's that's cool up there. I, I, I enjoyed that. It's a completely blank space that the artist created an hour ago, but I enjoyed going up there. What else can we do with it? It's Actually, it's meant for us, too, just speaking back to the concept side, that like we had to reorganize how we thought about designing this stuff because we had to, we had to move to a system where we were designing whole factions so that you could create these distinct cultures and, and, and peoples that would live in different areas so that in one area, you could see like that that wagon belongs to this this group, and so you can tell that they're here. And it just like it's it got so complex and beautiful. It was so fun just to geek out on every little detail. Um, yeah. So I, I apologize if you've answered this question already. I came in late. Um, so in Dragon Age Two, it seems like there was a uh, a decision to go with a small number of very beautifully designed environments. They get reused rather than a large number of perhaps more generic environments. Um, I was just curious if you guys could go into a little detail as to that decision. Where 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 am I looking? Sorry, hey. over there. Uh, <clears throat> well, let me tell you about the decision. Um, I mean that that was. Uh, I'll be honest. That was largely a time constraint. So uh, because we wanted to tell a more personal story, it made sense to try to detail, you know, up some areas that would change over time. But we're not looking backwards. Inquisition is going to be a large number of beautifully designed areas. A large number of large, beautifully designed areas. Um, so so I'm, I'm, I am a uh, programmer, and I understand that uh, engines the choice of an engine is very important to a game because each engine has its strengths but also has its weaknesses. Uh, and a lot of the press you guys have done so far on Inquisition has been focused mostly on the strengths and the cool stuff you can do by using the, the Frostbite engine instead of your older engines, which you are uh, perhaps more familiar with. And I'm just wondering if you are allowed to say expound at all on uh, any limitations you've hit based on the Frostbite engine or things that you can't do as much of course, for example, we're all concerned about the modability of the game, given that Bioware has in the past been very uh, open to uh, the modding community and whether Frostbite will support this. So Frostbite's, well, traditionally it's an FPS engine. And moving to an RPG, there's, there's all those systems that just don't exist even conceptually within it. So Bioware, we've, we've spent a lot of time building that in. Um, and now that the studio is on Frostbite, that helps all the teams as well as any other EA studios on Frostbite. It is actually a really big collaborative community. So it's, hey, we, we think we need this tech. And the email goes out. And 800 people receive that email from all the different teams and projects and talk about how they might want to do it. And, and often one team will just put their hand up. And a couple of months later, you've got this system come back into the, the main, main line. So it has actually been really cool in that way. Um, we have experience at it too because Unreal was the same thing when Mass Effect started. We had to add a bunch of RPG systems to it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to make all kinds of wild promises, uh, <laughs> but I can't. I would just say that uh, 
I mean, one of the key advantages of using Frostbite is that when we build stuff into it, we get to keep that, right? Nobody can suddenly change the license agreement, and other teams benefit from that. And we've benefited from code uh, like Need for Speed had made code that improves the streaming or allows you to lay down roads. We can use that. Um, other, you know, each team is adding its piece. So we're adding all kinds of uh, support for uh, user interfaces. We're adding all kinds of support for cinematic tools. Uh, and each of the teams that are using that get to, you know, continually build and improve on this thing. So there is a like what Seb was saying. There is a gigantic, or Mark was saying, sorry. There's a thousand people using this engine, all internally, and we're rolling that technology back into super engine kind of. And it's a good excuse to go to Sweden every now and then. Totally <laughs> awesome excuse to go to Sweden. So we have a f time for a few more questions. All right, sorry, more geography. You're happy we were <laughs> here. Hi, um, so Bioware is known for having very well-rounded, diverse characters. And a lot of other companies um, have stated things like they don't feel comfortable uh, creating characters that are not from their own experiences or um, that sometimes I've actually heard people say that they didn't find that it was important to the story in terms of telling the story they wanted to tell. So what would be, uh, I mean, given your success doing this, what would be your response or advice to people who have this belief and this like, uncomfortable feeling towards that? Um, I, uh, I read a great article by Brad Bird where he talked about uh, VFX today in, in movies uh, where you can go and buy an amazing explosion uh, at five or six different VFX houses. And um, the problem is, is that if you don't care about the characters, you don't care about the explosion. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what he's saying is that characters really come first and people that are afraid of characters or willing to put them somehow on a lower shelf or a lower tier, I think are making a grave error. And, you know, immersion comes from uh, different things, but all reality TV, all television, all soap operas, they're all character-based, all of it. That's all they have, really, when you think about it. So characters, to us, are incredibly important. And they have to be there. That's part of why our games are our games. So. And I mean, to the to the diversity angle. I mean, um, I, I'm a I'm a straight white guy. Uh, so I mean, obviously, I don't have I, I, I don't have a lot of the, the lived experience of you know of, of being a of, of writing a female character or uh, or or. Again, straight white guy uh, right here, um, but at the same time, you know, if you if you put something together and and, and you show it to somebody who, who is from that experience, you need to be able to take their feedback uh, to heart. And 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 I mean, obviously, we have a lot of diverse people in our audience, and uh, and 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 to some degree within our company, and getting that feedback and and really listening to what people are, to what people are saying whether whether it's whether it's positive or, or 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 negative or corrective feedback that's that's the only way that we can get better at uh, at making these kind of games and, and building these kind of characters so that we are speaking to our whole audience anyone else oh run in, run in, run in. <laughs> hi i was just wondering how you Prioritize uh, like the 
refinement of the art in different places? Like, how much? How do you decide if you're going to spend the next few hours working on this cod piece versus, you know, a few hours? <laughs> that's, that's a given. Yeah. Actually, always yeah. choose the cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and do those decisions come more top down or bottom up? Is it love uh, the designers just kind of walking through? I the think just to, to tie it back to the previous one, it comes from the our love of storytelling and that everyone everyone in the company is essentially working to support that. And so, you know, there's there's the the story that we want to tell, the themes we want to create. Um, uh, you know, even if it's the story in the environment, or it's even getting into into a bit of combat, where it's like it's telling you something about about the world. Um, but I, I think there there are some areas that you just know are going to be stronger um, opportunities to tell that story. Like, um, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I. Our QA lead gave me an interesting fact the other day, which is 60% uh, of our bugs come from the team itself. So I would say how we decide is uh, we just play the game a lot. Uh, we have a professional uh, quality assurance team that does uh, content testing. Um, so they're, and we're all looking for things that are wrong with it, but we're also making subjective calls about what could be better. And sometimes our list, you know, we start off with a list. We're going to make all these dragons. And then this dragon was, you know, like Dragon 11, but it turned out to be the best one. So we start improving that, and, you know, there, there's kind of an organic element to it because you can't just schedule inspiration. Sometimes something happens you weren't expecting, and you go, wow, man, that was that's amazing. We need some more of those. Um, so mostly you got to, you know, critique yourself, and everybody, you know, the, the most knowledgeable people about the, the, the game are the people that are working on it. And we kind of uh, decide what we want to do as we're going along. I mean, we have obviously have a plan, but when we play it, that's how we make decisions. And we can get, like, increasingly uh, granular as we get further towards shipping it, obviously. On the flip side to that, sometimes, even if you're feeling really passionate about working on a cod piece, you do have to polish a dragon. Uh, take some time. Yeah. <laughs> Butcher, I think it was Frank Herbert quote, but it was basically, like, even the days where he felt like he had writer's block, when he finishes the book and reads it back, he couldn't tell which days they were. It's mm -hmm. like it's there is self-discipline involved. It's 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 not just hey, I feel like working on whatever today. Like, ultimately, you are still all making the same game. In a lot of cases too, we do have review processes, so we'll we'll actually sit in a theater and play the game together and just like talk back and forth, like how can we make this better? How can we make this cod piece shine? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Frostbite does wonders with that. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Such a good shader. Sorry, I got I got stuck. My badge got trapped. Um, it's not as bad as when I literally tripped over because my boot got stuck um, yesterday. All right, so you get the last question. I make it wonderful. So um, anytime there's an RPG character that the player is meant to step into and assume the role of and kind of supplant their own personality and decision-making into the character... I find that in some games, those characters, those main characters, tend to lack a personality so that the player can put their own personality into them. But I find that I appreciate the character more if they have a little bit of personality of their own. That was one thing that I appreciate about Commander Shepard, is even though you're making all the choices and you lean towards Renegade or Paragon, Shepard did seem to have his or her own personality in addition to the choices the player is making. So how does your team decide how far to go with giving Shepard or Hawk or the Inquisitor or whomever a personality and how much personality to leave out so that the player can put their own there? Hmm. 
That, that is a good question. I kind of, it's, <laughs> it's a shame we don't have, I don't think we have any right. writers yeah, right now. They would probably be the well, most delegate. Well, let's, answer that. I, well, I, well, let's <laughs> answer this on behalf no. of yeah. 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 Let's, let's try. <laughs> okay. Let's see what we can do. But I think the dialogue <laughs> wheel, like, yeah. ultimately the writers have to write a response. So you, you get to pick, you know, a, a response to a situation that is sort of between you and the game. And then you hear the voice acting, which is a completely different line. And that's where I think that personality starts to grow. And it's just the nature of that dialogue wheel and using that thing. I think you're kind of forced to find a balance between what the player thinks is going on and then how the character interacts with the world. I, th I think to tie back into what we were just saying last time too, though, there's that fact that like we all play it. And we all play it kind of continuously. And, and I think after a while, even out of the team, out of the, what the writers are doing, a personality does sort of develop, and you can you can kind of tell. Occasionally, it has happened where like a line of dialogue just is like a thorn in everybody's side, and they're just like this. This just isn't right. It's not working, and and the writers can rework it. And Inquisitor try calling. <laughs> uh, that that was infamous. Uh -huh. I like that line. <laughs> it was funny, and then it got mm -hmm. like a thorn in your brain, yeah. Yeah. and then it got funny again. Um, to tie that actually, and then it got ruined. To tie that back into um, art and design, uh, it does actually. You guys do though. Matt actually blew my mind. I think it was last PAX when you were talking about some of the thought that you put into Aveline's apron. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if if you guys could talk about when you're doing actual design work, when you're thinking about the characterization or um, some of the, I think it was, um, again, I'm, I'm just thinking about Chris Schoenberg because, or Ray Lane because I'm obsessed with both of those. When they were thinking about um, the story of putting turrets in specific places for the, the actual story of going through and um, you can have certain characterizations in design and art um, could you speak a little to oh, yeah. that? Because I think it does I tie think, back into your question. I, I would say I think we're all kind of in love with what Tolkien called secondary belief, which I think is a better term than suspension of disbelief, where it's just creating a world that you can believe in, and part of it is just immersing ourselves in it every day. I mean, the Aveline one was, well, that was how David Gator and I learned how to talk like to one another in a really good way. I think that was a big point for us. That Like, like Aveline's, Aveline's apron was... Um, she was coming from Ferelden. She was a refugee. Like they were all refugees, and, and the idea was that she's a strong, um, a strong woman who's capable. She's able to be a warrior. So it might, maybe it would make sense. We'll just tell a little story and say that she was out blacksmithing. Like she was fixing some horseshoes, or she was doing something. But like that, that gave her the, that showed off that strength. So that apron was just like something she would have been wearing while doing that. And then holy crap, there's darkspawn. No time, run. And and so. You, you kind of look for those opportunities to just put that put that backstory in there. Yeah, even in the, the creature design, like when we come up with what the role of a creature is and what the themes are, we're, we we spend a lot of time just talking about like, so how do we really accentuate that? Like, does this action actually sell that off? How do we play that up? Of like, this guy's supposed to be you know, you know, the, the big big boss, and like you, you have to be scared of him. You this. Is, He's going to smash through the wall and stuff. Sometimes it's easy things like, okay, this guy throws bombs at you, so where's he getting them from? Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's more subtle things. And, so what yeah. about the characterization of the nugs, then? <laughs> it's, it's all about the fingers. The, the, the important thing about the nug is, is, is those creepy the little, little fingers. fingers. <laughs> sticky, sticky little baby hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. They're for grasping. <laughs> okay, well, someone else has to say something now because we can't ha- we can't stop on baby hands. <laughs> sure, we can. <laughs> All right, well, baby hands. Okay. Okay, well, thank you guys so much. Um, I, I want to give time for portfolio review, and if anything, if anyone brought anything that they want these guys to um, sign, we have some time. Um, we have some time now, um, but. Yeah, uh, we, we always feel that it's important when we go to PACS to give artists um, the time to get their portfolios reviewed. If you brought your portfolio, come on up here, and we will try to assign you to someone who um, kind of fits um, your portfolio to the best of our abilities. And um, let me know if you have something that you'd like to get signed, and, and we'll try to make that happen as well. Cool. Thank you, guys. And that brings us to the end of this episode's Bioware-based panel coverage. We hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at NerdAppropriate, or Facebook, slash NerdAppropriate. Email us directly. That is Matt, Hillary with one L, Scott or Ash at NerdAppropriate.com. And we have uh, over 100 episodes to check out. So definitely subscribe and let us know what you think. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.